We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. We are up to episode 957, and this is always one of my favorite editions because it is a Ben Fennel edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Ben, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's great to sit here in the beginning of March, a little under two months to the NFL draft, and it's the, uh, the beautiful time of year to start digging into these prospects. It really, really is. And that's going to be our core topic today. The last time you were on, we discussed, you know, some of the the top cornerbacks in the draft, and we're going to kind of finish up that series today as we look at, take a look at some of the guys who some of them may go early, some of them may go more in those middle to late rounds. So we'll take a look. I want to get your thoughts on a lot of these guys today. But before we get there, I want to go over a topic that I know is very near and dear to Packer fans. And it might be one that for the first time, Ben, I think we may actually have a disagreement on. So I want to pick your brain on Aaron Jones. I know I saw some tweets, I believe recently that had you potentially saying that you'd like to see Aaron Jones back. I I could be paraphrasing here, but on more of like a a Alvin Kamara, maybe it wasn't an Alvin Kamara. I forget what it was, but I'll let you uh, go into your uh, diatribe on whether or not you'd like to see Aaron Jones back in green Bay and what type of contract you'd like to see him on. Well, I would like to see uh, Aaron Jones. I think we've all seen his ability uh, in a short three, four year career, obviously his ability to contribute in both phases of the game. I just think he's a special player. Uh, you know, considering what he can do in the past game with his hands and his route running, obviously his ability to, uh, you know, generate yards in the run game, short yardage, 
He could be creative, get more yards in the plays blocked for once you get him in the open field. Obviously, very elusive, very powerful. He's an excellent player. I don't think anybody's questioning that. Now it's a matter of weighing his injury history versus the depreciation of the running back position and these types of players as they enter their late 20s into that second contract. So when you're looking at the 2017 class, a bunch of guys got paid in the last calendar year. So that's Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, in combination with having to look at the franchise tag, which is considerably less this year for a number of positions, particularly the running back. Uh, very generally, it's gone from about $12 million down to about $8 million. And I was just saying on Twitter the other day, I would like to see Aaron Jones back at a favorable number. I think that franchise tag is kind of enticing at that $8 million number. But when you look at some of the contracts of those four in particular into that 2017 class, Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook were each given nice signing bonuses, which gets allocated over the length of the contract and actually gave their team some cap flexibility in the near future. Each of them only have cap hits right around 5 million for 2021. Now, obviously that escalates later on as backloaded deals often do, uh, but that gives the team some protection in the near future, some flexibility while also backloading the deal and giving them some, uh, some outs of the contract in a couple of years as well. So while that $8 million franchise tag is enticing, you could get it even lower by extending or finding a long-term solution with him and trying to play with the numbers. So uh, as opposed to Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon have much higher hits in 2021, right around 12 million or so, uh, which is much more reflective of their year to year base salary. But I would like to see Aaron Jones back. I don't think that's too uh, decisive of an opinion. (laughs) It's just a matter of what cost Andy uh, and looking at the Packers cap situation, which has been one of the more intriguing over this off season so far. Uh, and just trying to get under the cap and figuring out how much money do they have to work with being a competitive team? Are they going to go after some high price free agents? Are they going to have enough money to sign their own guys like Aaron Jones, like Corey Lindsley? So um, I'm not sure if that's too divisive with your opinion, but I'd like to see him back at a favorable number. And I don't think that's too uh, groundbreaking. No, and unfortunately, I think we are uh, once again mostly in lockstep on that opinion. So I don't think we have too much of a disagreement here. And I'll, I'll start by saying my soul is completely split with Aaron Jones, right? So I love Aaron Jones. I think he's been a consummate professional. He's been great in Green Bay. He's obviously a playmaker. You remove him from Green Bay. And in my opinion, yes, MVS can be a, a playmaker down the field. But when you talk about getting the ball in, in a player's hands and having them have the opportunity to maybe take it the distance, even Devontae Adams is more of like a a skill route runner. He's a playmaker, no question, but Aaron Jones is that guy where you can kind of get in his hands and he can just make plays. I think you lose one of that, you know, one of those few type of players that you have. If Aaron Jones is gone, I think he pairs perfectly with AJ Dillon. There's so many reasons that I'd like to see him back. And even if you want to get into the don't pay running backs conversation, which I'm going to in just a second, um, I still think that you pay playmakers. And like you mentioned, Aaron Jones isn't just a running back. He can affect the game in the passing game. He's become much better as a pass protector. So there's so many of these reasons where I'd like to see him back. On the flip side, my that's my heart talking. My brain says 
that the, the salary cap set up the way that it is with running backs depreciating over the length of their contract, usually more often than not, I'm very much in the camp of don't pay running backs. And you bring up the, the franchise tag. And I think general managers are very much in the, the realm of trying to look for market inefficiencies. And of course, if Aaron Jones can get 12 to 13 million, maybe on an open market, maybe even more, well then signing them to a one year, $8 million deal is one hell of a market inefficiency that you can take advantage of, especially when you consider that you don't have to, um, you know, extend him long-term into some of those years where he gets into his late twenties or early thirties, you get him under value, you get him for, you know, for all of those reasons, that that's a market inefficiency that you can take advantage of. However, I can also make the argument that the bigger market inefficiency is being able to pay your entire running back room, maybe less than 3 million and allocate your resources elsewhere. And I think if you have an AJ Dillon, you spend maybe a third or fourth round pick on a running back. Um, maybe you get something out of Patrick Taylor. You bring back Tyler Irvin as kind of that gadget guy. I mean, you've just paid three million for less than you know, or, or less than your, for your entire running back room. And I think you can get away with being still a good offense. I look at that San Francisco game a year ago. They had Jamal Williams, who you know had limited amount of snaps he could play, and Aaron Jones was out in that game. And you've got Tyler Irvin and Dexter Williams. And I know it's a 49ers team that wasn't exactly great, but your offense still looked more than functioning in that game. So. And the other thing I'll say too, really quickly is it, with that franchise tag, I wonder with Drew Rosenhaus as his agent is, you know, is that going to be out the window where Jones and Rosenhaus are not happy with that? Do you create some sort of rift there that they don't want to play? He's holding out and, um, and maybe, yeah, I don't know. All of those sort of things are have to think about as well, but I, I'm, my soul is totally split on this one and I could easily see it going either way. And it's tough because a lot of the uh, recent running back contracts have not gone great from Todd Gurley to Le'Veon Bell to David Johnson. And I think people are kind of waiting in the wings for Ezekiel Elliott in that, you know, drop off down there in Dallas. So I think the saving grace is they didn't pay him after 2019 where he had 19 touchdowns. If Packers fans really wanted to be in a bad place, talk about, you know, giving a long-term contract to a running back that probably warranted being the highest paid running back after that 2019 season, 2020 love the workload. I know he was injured, but I love the pacing and kind of preservation of him much more in that Alvin Kamara style where he always has a backfield mate, not to take away from him, but to keep him fresh, to keep him, uh, you know, ready to go in the fourth quarters and late in ball games and uh, always making sure he's a threat and not wearing him down with volume. Uh, And just to paint the full picture, with the, the Packers running back situation. Love the prospects of A.J. Dillon becoming more involved. He obviously is going to need that lightning to go with his thunder, whether it's Aaron Jones or a free agent or some young kid in the draft. And I think Jamal Williams is wildly replaceable. Great guy on the field, off the field. But what he does, uh, I don't really think has a lot of value. So um, I think that would have to be a very, very fair deal for him to come back. uh, Certainly being that kind of short yardage guy, replacement running back special teamer. Yeah, we may have some slight disagreements on Aaron Jones, but we are very, very much in lockstep on on, uh, Williams. I've felt that way for a while. I just... At some point, you need the players with the ball in their hands to be able to make plays and go the distance. And and I just don't see that with Jamal Williams. He's great in pass protection. He can catch the ball to the backfield. Is solid in the screen game. He does some of the little things very, very well. But um, at, at some point, I'd just like to see somebody maybe just a little bit more dynamic who's not going to just get the yards that are blocked for him in some way, shape, or form. So we are definitely in agreement there. 
Uh, let's let's transition to these corners, Ben. That's going to kind of be our main topic for today. We'll kind of do it similarly to how we did it last time, going over the the different corners and just kind of getting your your Cliff Notes version on some of these. Um, and I I really want to start in Syracuse because they have two prospects that I am infinitely intrigued by for very different reasons. And let's start with Ifitu Melifanwu, um, 6'3", 214, redshirt junior, really liked him on the outside. I, I, I just watched him in full last night uh, for full transparency here. Um, I watched three games, North Carolina, Liberty, and Clemson from this past season on all 22. And I am smitten, Ben. Tell me <laughs> if you are also smitten or uh, tell me some red flags I should be watching out for here. Oh, well, he certainly looks the part. He's tall. He's long. He's fast. He's a ridiculous athlete, all sorts of, you know, uh, prolific athleticism in his background from running track lacrosse was captain of his high school basketball team, tons of special team stuff. And these types of corners, these tall, long guys that are a little bit lean, typically have this finesse profile. This is a physical player. Yeah. He's a good force player. He's good in run support. He'll fight off blocks. I'm glad you watched that North Carolina tape because <laughs> they throw a lot of receiver screens where he has to fight off blocks. And those receivers love blocking for each other. I thought he did a great job. He hits hard. I called him an impact tackler, which only gets that label for one, two, maybe three cornerbacks in a given class. Um, his off coverage is change of direction. It's a little stiff. He's a little tight in the hips. Um, but when you play an impressed man and get his hands on and use that length and use that speed, I think it really helps him. And down at the senior bowl, he did some one-on-one reps with the safety group where he covered some tight ends like Trey McKitty out there in Georgia. So six, two, 212 pounds. There's plenty of nickels and safeties in the NFL that are under that height and weight. So I think he's a guy that can probably play corner for some schemes. And there might be some guys that think he could be a matchup guy to erase some bigger slots and tight ends as well. So he's a guy with a lot of ball production and a really interesting player. He looks the part. He's a good looking player. Yeah, I really like that North Carolina tape. Some of the stuff that he did against uh, Brown from North Carolina was really, really good. He had the the pass breakup that resulted in an interception. I, th- I feel like he moves very, very well for his size. You know, anytime you get somebody that's you know around six three two fourteen, you mentioned that fluidity, the change of direction. It's never going to be you know great, but I thought for that size, for his you, you know his kind of length, I thought it was impressive overall. I, I just he had the play you posted. I, I realized as I was going through the videos later, I posted it last night as well, where he just throws the receiver to the ground and then goes out and makes and undercuts the the running back as well. Um, and then Clemson too, you know, just being able to, to hang with a team like Clemson and, 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 you know, some of those, those wide receivers and Trevor Lawrence, I didn't think he gave up much, even though this is Syracuse versus Clemson. I, I was really impressed with his overall body of work from those three games. Thought he understood leverage. Um, now he had like two or three pass breakups, I think against Clemson as well. So I just really liked him as a prospect and uh, you know, how much, how much stock do you put into like, obviously his brother didn't turn out in the NFL. He's playing at Syracuse, which isn't a top tier program. I, I think if he's playing at a, a better college and maybe doesn't have the Melifanwu name, I, I think he even is, you know, even higher up, but I don't know how much stock you put into that stuff. Yeah, not a whole lot. I think they're in different situations. His brother being kind of a raw safety prospect that played on the back end also had pretty significant knee problems coming into the NFL. So a uh, much different profile with his medicals. But yeah, there is a bit of that, you know, uh, stigma to him with the Melifonu name. They're like clones of each other as far as height, <laughs> weight, speed, range, athleticism, the whole deal. Um, but I think of Fatu, what he showed down at the Senior Bowl, uh, really was able to separate himself from that Syracuse program just a little bit and show he could hang with the top dogs in college football. 
All right, let's stick right with that Syracuse program and another player that I am infinitely intrigued by, but I'm not quite ready to put a smitten stamp on him quite yet like I did with Melifondu, and that's Trill Williams, 6'2", 198, junior. I don't even know where I like him as an ideal position. Um, I look at like general cornerback traits and of course he has the height, weight, speed He's an athletic freak. No question about it, but just like overall coverage ability, I couldn't even necessarily get a great read on it, but you see some of his turnover worthy plays and the impact that he's making. He's a, you know, he's a physical player. I, I just loved his skill set. I just don't know ultimately what his best position is and just how much I value his actual cover skills. Well, you know, some of these Syracuse defenders, particularly Trill Williams and Andre Cisco, will make some big plays and then break your heart, uh, yeah. you know, and some other plays. So Trill Williams showed up on the freak list for his vertical 40 inches, ran 4-3-4, 17 reps at 225. So he's an explosive player. He's fast. He's strong. He really reminds me of a mid-round version of Hamza Nazaruddin. They're both tall, long, rangy, playmakers, tough players. Um, I was a little disappointed that Trill opted out in November. I thought he should have finished, but he's a converted corner that moved inside to that nickel slot. So he's got some natural coverage ability. Um, He's got a physical presence. You really can't block him with the receiver. He's just too long, too strong, really easy change of direction. You mentioned all those turnovers, four interceptions, four forced fumbles in his career. He gets the ball back, which excites you. But some of the negatives, no instincts, loss in zone coverage, eye violations all over the place, misses tackles every other attempt, limited ball production, doesn't find the ball down the field, has some issues playing the catch point with just uh, being a little bit nuanced with his timing in his hands. And he's just a raw player. He's young. He has a lot of tools. Uh, but like you said, I don't really know where to play him because of that rawness to him. So he's kind of a, a ball of clay right now. It's an exciting ball of clay, uh, considering how big and tall and long and rangy and explosive he is. Um, but he's a guy that might not be ready to play for a year or two. That's going to have to work his way through the back of the roster and show some enthusiasm at special teams. Yeah, even when he played some at safety, I didn't see the instincts. I didn't see great angles taken to the football. I didn't feel like there, you know, some of those things that would translate well there. I don't necessarily think he's an outside corner. I do think he can be one of those bigger slots. I think you almost maybe need to play him like a um, like a Jamal Adams in Seattle, just doing some really unique things with him. He could easily end up with like a Josh Jones type career where you don't end up finding a spot. He doesn't have the instincts. He's a physical freak, but it never really translates on the field. I really like him and I like what he can bring to the table. But I think you have to have a very creative defensive coordinator that's going to use him in a unique way and figure out how to use all those traits to the benefit of your defense. Yeah, I think that's fair. I could see somebody maybe that first year just using him as like the sixth defensive back. So he might only come out in third and medium, third and long. Hey, we'll give you a very segmented assignment. Take away number three and man coverage, whether he's a slot or a tight end. And that's your role as a rookie. So I could definitely see him finding some sort of uh, small role with the defense. Uh, let's move to the SEC. Calvin Joseph, uh, corner out of Kentucky, redshirt sophomore, I believe 6'1", 192. Has all the traits. I would have liked to have seen him stay in college one more year, and I think he, he would have been easily a first-round pick next year if he played at a high level. He might be a first-round pick this year based on the traits, maybe early second. Who knows where he ultimately ends up going. But I like everything that I see on tape. I think he's still a little bit of a project, but you can see why a lot of people are thinking that this is a potential top corner down the road. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, certainly been an off-season darling as people have been digging into his tape. You have to remember, he was a four-star 
LSU transfer. Uh, and LSU doesn't just go after any cornerbacks. Obviously, that's pretty much DBU down there. But transferred at LSU for a couple of reasons, but found his way over to Kentucky. He's just a one-year player and opted out. So only has about 750 snaps played in his career, which I think cornerback Andy is a learn on the job position. Yep. I want experience, experience, experience. I think that's how you get better. So even going back to a Marshawn Lattimore, that was a one and one and a half year player in a rotational scheme at Ohio state only had about 600 snaps to his career. I know he's ended up being a great corner. I'm not touching a guy like that in the top 15. Uh, I know it's worked out, but it's just so much boom and bust to uh, take him in the first round or with any sort of high draft capital. And Kelvin Joseph had inconsistent tape to begin with. So it's not like he was a lockdown corner. That was a great kid off the field in the locker room. He had inconsistent tape with some questions off the field and a transfer to dig into. Um, so there's just a lot, but he's six one, one ninety. He's tall. He's long. He's got, you know, the ball skills, good speed. He can play in a variety of schemes, whether it's press man or some side saddle stuff. He defended Devontae Smith twice down the field yeah. at a PBU and an interception. Um, but he's given up slant post touchdowns to Kyle Pitts. He got beasted for a red zone fave touchdown to Seth Williams, and they got mushed in the face afterward. <laughs> Dumb penalties that Auburn game, too. Personal foul penalty. He's a kind of a scrappy kid, always pushing and shoving post play. Um, but you'll like that at a cornerbacks to a degree. But uh, he's an interesting player, Andy, you know, but where he goes in the draft. What's his projection digging into the off field stuff? Who is he as far as a person in the locker room and a member of your organization? There's a lot of questions with this kid. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the highest graded player against Alabama, uh, highest graded secondary player against Alabama last season um, at corner. So, uh, you know, he was one of the few players that could kind of hold up. But I think he ultimately ends up as a second round pick who has, uh, if he pays off, you know, probably could have been a top 15 guy uh, if all the traits pay off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And you easily could not pay off because of all those red flags and question marks that you mentioned. Uh, let's jump. Over. I think he had like 15 return touchdowns in high school, too. This is a freak athlete type of kid. Um, just some things to deal with, obviously, off the field as well. I want to jump over to one of my guys. And I, again, I'm looking, uh, I need you to talk me off the, the table on this one, Ben, and, and, and poke some holes and give me some red flags because I really liked Cameron Bynum out of Cal. 
Um, thought he had great quickness. Uh, he had a, re- a couple of nice interceptions. Uh, they're definitely going to run at him. I think is you mentioned last time we talked about how you want, um, you know, players to tackle. I, I have some questions of how he's going to kind of hold up at the edge, but I think he's very calm in coverage. I don't see him super grabby. I think he's ridiculously consistent. Seems always on balance. Um, watched three games of him as well. I, I'm, I'm curious, really curious your thoughts on Cameron Bynum. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Yeah, he's a fun player, and I'm glad you brought him up immediately after Kelvin Joseph because <laughs> this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Exactly. This is a guy with 42 games started, tons of ball production, nearly 2,500 snaps played. He's an experienced veteran corner, smooth, fluid, smart, finds the ball. He understands route combinations very well. He seems to understand how he's being attacked defensively. Solid tackler, knows how to leverage to his help, understands uh, you know, boot and misdirection and containment, really good jams against Brandon Ayuk last year. I thought he did the best coverage job against the first round pick that went to the 49ers. The issue is he's just kind of an average athlete. He yep. doesn't have the long speed to turn and run downfield. He's a guy that has been, been murmured around to convert to safety or maybe be a free safety to protect that speed just a little bit. So this is the other end of it, Andy. You know, when you play a lot, your game can be, you know, ripped apart as well when you put 2,500 snaps on tape as opposed to showing a little body of work and then saying, all right, we'll evaluate that. Tell me what you, you know, how you project it. So you can also expose yourself uh, with more experience and play time. But I just think that makes your evaluation a little bit safer, makes our jobs a little bit easier, uh, not as high variance, but he's a guy with tons and tons of experience. It's a smart player. Um, and I think any team would be excited to find him in their defensive back room. Just not sure if he can hang in a true press man scheme on the outside. Yeah, he's going to have to be one of those players that wins on technique. And you're right. It's just a, a classic example of do you want the traits? Do you want the tape? Do you want the high end potential? But maybe some of the red flags are there. Or do you want the guy that's been a solid cover guy, but maybe not have ultimately the foot speed and the, the, the traits needed to hang with some of the best players at a high level? It just it's the classic you know, which one would you rather have? And I know NFL teams usually like the traits, uh, but Cameron Bynum's just one of those guys I really, really like on tape. And, and the other thing with Bynum is he can, he thought about coming out in 2019, thought about coming out in 2020, finally coming out this year, he did consider maybe going back again, but it seems like his draft projection hasn't changed either. He's been, always been right around a fourth, fifth round pick, which can worry you as well. The fact that he hasn't really ever taken that next leap to be an elite player or really developed into being more than he was as a young player at Cal, which is okay too. It's a very consistent profile, but uh, it all depends how you look at it.
That's why these conversations are so ridiculously fun. I, I want to go to <laughs> Paulson Adebo at Stanford. Let's uh, stick on the West Coast, six foot one ninety, redshirt junior. You know, everyone can look back to the um, UCF game. Uh, you know, a couple of years back. Um, against, uh, why am I forgetting his name from the Buffalo? Gabriel Bills. Davis. Thanks, Gabe Davis. Um, <laughs> you know, where Gabe Davis definitely had his way with him on a couple different occasions. I think he got beat on double moves twice in the first quarter for touchdowns, just absolutely smoked. Uh, usually these are type of players that scare me. This was one of the players that I watched and I'm like, you know what? He made some mistakes, but I like the overall profile and body of work. I really like this cornerback class. I have positive things to say almost uh, over almost all of them. I don't think it has the super high end guys. Like, you know, sometimes some of the top draft picks have, I think we may have a couple guys go around the top 10, but um, I don't love those guys quite as much, but I really like the depth of this group and Paulson Adebo is another one of those guys. Yeah. You know, he has an interesting profile in that he's only played for two years. Uh, really only played half of 2019 um, and then opted out this year. It was that freshman year was insane. with like almost 20 PBUs, four interceptions, tons of ball production. Then 2019, that first game of the year against UCF, I think it was what first, I got absolutely torched by Gabriel Davis and never really felt the same or looked the same, but he's 6'1", 185. He's physical. He has a my ball mentality. He's got that size length combo plays really aggressively strong down the field. Defender really knows how to bump and grind kind of uh, receivers in the route stem and at the catch point that makes him good in the red zone. The issues, same thing. It can bind him. just lacks that agility, the athleticism, the long speed start stops are a little bit clunky, heavy feet at times really lacks the twitch. He's another guy right under cam Bynum convert to safety question mark is what I have written down. So he's a tough kid, knows how to tackle smart player. All those things are kind of checking boxes to maybe make him a middle of the field defender. Yeah, that, that absolutely could be the case. I think if you keep him on the outside for, for Packer fans, um, I, I could easily see him having a Devon House type of career where he ends up being a solid starter for some time, but um, just ultimately doesn't have the high-end traits or the uh, agility to kind of stay with some of those top corners. And, and Andy, it's kind of funny to say, you know, big, you know, physical, my ball mentality struggles with start stop, a little clunky athleticism. This sounds like Josh Jackson a little bit coming out yeah. of Iowa. Yeah, that's totally fair, too. It sounds like a guy that the Packers kind of like, to be fair. Yeah, right in their wheelhouse. Yep. <laughs> exactly, very much. All right, let's go to Elijah Molden. Um, first of all, I want to know if you see, again, we're talking about corners or safeties. This is another one has had a ton of success as a slot corner in college. I, one of the, my favorite things about him is he's just been good wherever he's been, wherever he's played, whether it's been in high school, college, he's been good at every step of the way. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued on your thoughts of where he ultimately ends up in the NFL. Yeah, he's a really good player. I think the the best nickel prospect in this class, he's a tough kid, even though he's only 5'10", 190. He's a guy that survived really well in run support and kind of attacking a lot of that perimeter screen action. Nearly 500 special team snaps too. So he's a guy that just knows how to be a good football player, will blitz as well. He's played some safety though. He's played some half field stuff. He's played very limited free safety as well. Um, great ball production. I just don't know where this type of player goes. I could really see him going somewhere like 30, 31, 32 in the back end of round one to a competitive team that just really needs a, a nice defensive back starter. I think he's ready to go. Um, and he's a guy that like our buddy Dame Brugler mocked 21st overall uh, right after the draft last year. So considering his body of work coming into the 2020 season, then obviously, uh, you know, performing well, 
I could definitely see him being somewhere between 20 and 40 in the draft. Uh, but obviously that kind of middle of the road cornerback group, nickelback group, safety group is very up in the air right now, depending who you ask. And remember, Joe Barry literally just made the comment in his first press conference that he feels like you can never have enough nickel corners in the NFL uh, to play that position. So uh, Elijah Molden certainly somebody that should be on the Packers radar. Um, I want to go through a few more of these. So Elijah Griffin, uh, Warren G's son of regulate fame. Uh, he is another player that certainly caught my eye. 5'10", 175 junior from USC. I love his swagger, which you would kind of expect from Warren G's son, I guess. But I uh, really liked his body of work on the field as well. What were your thoughts on Griffin? He's another guy. He's just so raw, just so, just you know, not experienced enough. He's barely a two-year starter. He was a five-star at a Mission Viejo that everybody wanted. Good returnability as well. Just very limited production, very inconsistent tape. Um, I think he's a guy that expected to dominate immediately at USC and just was kind of average, uh, depending on what game you watch. Um, you could be very disappointed or you could be very intrigued. He's a guy that I thought through and through should have gone back and put more uh, consistent stuff on tape, but um, came from a very prolific high school program, all sorts of division one players around college football that he played with over there at Viejo. But um, he's a guy that probably had his sights set on that next level very early in his career. And um, that USC defense just has been so up and down over the last four or five seasons. It's tough to evaluate the prospects. There's two positions and maybe there's more, but as I'm thinking out loud here, there's two positions that demeanor really mean a lot to me. Interior offensive line, you've just got to have some absolute nasty to you and you've got to want to fight in the trenches. And then cornerback just needs a little bit of that swagger and that ability to, you you give up a completion. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go back and I'm going to have the same level of confidence on the very next down. Um, Elijah Griffin has that demeanor and that swagger for me. And it doesn't certainly cover up for some of the deficiencies that you just mentioned, but it's one of the things that specifically I look for when I'm looking at corners is do they have that demeanor to be able to hold up at corner? I feel like he definitely has that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you're definitely getting a press man corner with height, weight, speed, swagger, confidence. He's the profile of a defensive back. He could be a shutdown player in the NFL, just a little inexperienced, a little inconsistent at this point. Uh, let's go Ambry Thomas, six foot 189, senior out of Michigan. Uh, definitely did some returning at Michigan as well. He's got high end speed. He's got good size. Uh, what were your thoughts on Thomas? I really like Ambry Thomas. I think more people should be talking about this kid. He was a four star U.S. Army American, former receiver, which you love out of defensive backs. Those guys just have better ball skills. They don't panic when the ball's in the air. Um, 39 games played, 13 starts. He was the team's defensive skill player last year. He's a competitor. He's feisty at 5'11", 189. Didn't play too much in 2017, 2018, uh, but tons in 2019 in that nickel spot. And they play tons of press man at Michigan. So these guys are typically ready to come right into the NFL and play some man-to-man coverage for somebody. Um, He's thin. He's got long limbs. Tons of press, rarely has safety help over the top, which you just love that kind of island mentality that Don Brown put his defensive backs in. Wasn't always great, but I think it just prepares them to be a little bit more NFL ready uh, in that scheme. Just needs to get a little bit stronger. Um, He showed up down at the Senior Bowl, put some good stuff on tape, got cooked in some other uh, instances. Reminds me a little bit of Jabari Greer, um, who carved out a good NFL career, being a nice nickelback. Um, so he's a guy that I think could be one of the early day three players for somebody needing a nice nickel prospect. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that as well. Uh, he, the, the, the thinness, the wiriness was, you know, the only thing that I had any major concerns on, but um, really liked his growth over his time at Michigan. Um, you know, one of the things he played Chase Claypool and had good coverage on him and Chase Claypool just went up and made the catch over him. But to be fair, right. Chase Claypool can do that to a lot of people. Um, definitely got a little bit grabby versus Devonte Smith in Alabama in 2019 as well. But overall, I pl- thought he played a solid game there. Jordan Lewis is a comp that I saw there. I think he's a better version of Jordan Lewis uh, coming out of Michigan, but um, really I-, I like him as well. I- he's definitely one of the players I think Green Bay should have an eye on um, maybe day two of the draft, uh, especially if it's like a-, a round three pick. I think I could see that being a match there. Um, I want to head to Georgia because I mean, Georgia has probably, they could end up with four drafted corners. We talked about two of them last time, but DJ Daniel is one that really caught my eye as well. 5'11, 183. Uh, definitely isn't going to be the most talked about corner in the, this Georgia class, but um, I really liked what he could do. I thought he had really good tape um, against Chase Daniel uh, or Chase Daniel. I'm sure he could have very good uh, coverage <laughs> against Chase Daniel, but Jamar Chase, excuse me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on Daniel. Yeah, well, it seems like Tyson Campbell uh, and Eric Stokes are the darlings of that secondary in Georgia. But let's not forget DJ Daniel and even Mark Webb, who's more of a star nickel player. But DJ Daniel's kind of a mix of Campbell and Eric Stokes. I think Stokes is a true press man corner. I think Tyson Campbell is a true bail side saddle cover three type of corner. I think Daniel's a mix of the two. 5'11", 183, very, very aggressive, very physical, willing tackler, cat blitzes, run support, aggressive on the perimeter, getting off blocks. You love that as just a baseline for defensive backs. You know, there's no finesse with these players. Just a matter of whether you can trust him in true press man. He just doesn't find the ball down the field consistently enough, uh, which was my issue, issue with Tyson Campbell as well. But Campbell being just a little bit of a longer profile at 6'2", I think fits that kind of, cover three scheme a little bit better. Daniel might be a guy I want to slide into the nickel spot. And I swear, Andy, there was four or five instances of one-on-one reps at the senior bowl where I had it recorded on my phone, was going to post it to Twitter. And then the very next rep, he got cooked. So there's some, you can fall in love with him. And then some, he's going to break your heart. Um, But he's a physical guy. He's going to beat you up on the release in the stem at the catch point. I don't know. Who pissed in his oatmeal in the morning? This guy is a nasty kind of physical, um, you know, FU type of corner out there, which I absolutely love. So whether you want to call him a Jair Alexander type or whatnot, I think that's the type of mold. Yeah, that demeanor, again, comes up very much with DJ Daniel. And I uh, see you get lucky. Usually what happens is I'll tweet something during a game and then immediately the opposite will happen. I'll be like, all right, that's that's great. So at least you got to see it before you sent the tweet out. But uh, that that definitely can happen as well. I want to go over two um, underrated guys, I think, next, and that's uh, Tay Gowan from UCF and Trey Brown from Oklahoma. I know you were tweeting out about Trey Brown the other day, especially his special teams prowess on the number of special team snaps that he has played, which is a really nice upside. Had the freak uh, rundown, what was it, against Baylor? Um, and yep. uh, it was a Big 12 championship where he just – I don't know if you can compare it to the DK Metcalf chase down from last season, but uh, it's definitely within that realm, just freak speed, good special teams guy. And then Tay Gowan is one of those players. I think uh, you had mentioned as well that he didn't get the quote unquote combine invite, even though there's not a combine. I was shocked by that. I loved his, his just pure coverage skills. I know he had the transfer only played one year, didn't play last year or one year at UCF. I should say didn't play last year, but these two guys I really, really liked. Yeah, we'll start with Tay real fast. He was a Miami, Ohio transfer, went Juco, then UCF. 
reminds me a lot of Akilah Witherspoon or maybe even a slightly lesser Cameron Dantzler uh, ended up being a nice player for the Vikings out of Mississippi State. But he opted out of 2020 for some reason after only playing one year at UCF. They had a really good secondary out there with Aaron Robinson and Richie Grant. I thought he should have hung out, put some more stuff on tape, but he's a speedy, explosive player, tall, long, can play press or off. Kind of a poor tackle or a little grabby at the top of routes. He can handle big receivers. He's an interesting player. I'm surprised he didn't get the combine invite. But moving over to Trey Brown, I would recommend to everybody, if you want a kind of quick little snapshot on speed, type in the player's name, type in recruiting, and find their ESPN recruiting profile. Because if they went to a ESPN or Nike camp in high school, the spark camps or the openings, they will have official metrics. And Trey Brown ran an official 4-4-3 in high school. So this is a guy that had elite speed, uh, you know, being a, a young recruit in high school and uh, in his early career at Oklahoma has since put on, uh, you know, 10, 15 pounds and is probably just a tick or two slower now. But he's a competitive player, three-year starter, speedy player, over 700 special team snaps. You mentioned that hustle running down that receiver at Baylor in the bowl game last year. He's a guy that seems to have battled Tylen Wallace Every game, every rep, every year, they've each kind of taken their licks. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And he really kind of, you know, stole my attention at the Senior Bowl, locking up Demetrik Felton on a couple of reps. So Felton was a darling of the week, seemed to carve up everybody in the past game. And Trey Brown was beating him up and really competing with him. And reminds me a lot of a Terrence Newman style of player uh, who is a very veteran cornerback, a little bit undersized, but great speed, great ball skills, tough player. And to be honest with you, Andy, I just don't know where these guys get drafted. Um, And for anyone doing seven round mock drafts, good luck, because (laughs) once you get to the middle of the pack, a lot of these prospects, whether it's the deep receiver group or the deep cornerback group uh, or some of these middle of the road edge rushers, I have no idea. Trey Brown might be a third round pick. He might be a seventh round pick. Um, It's really tough to figure out. And it just takes one team to love somebody, one team to make somebody a first round pick. So it's really interesting that everybody could have him as an undrafted free agent. If one team takes him 15th overall, he's forever a first round pick. And I think that's kind of the fun aspect of the draft as well. The thing I like about Trey Brown is let's say you draft him and he doesn't turn out as a corner. He could still have a what eight year career as like that fifth, sixth corner and a core special teams guy. And you still get some return on your investment. Meanwhile, he still has some high end traits and is enough of a prospect where if he hits, you may get a starter at corner. So like it just, it it just kind of, um, you know, kind of lessens your potential losses with a player like that when they can come in, probably play some special teams from day one and have a really solid career in special teams regardless. And you still get a player that you've got some ability to build around and could even be better. Um, and ultimately, like I said, end up a starter. So there's more of a safety net there for that type of player. I just think there's there's value of that, especially in maybe fourth, fifth round of the draft. I'd be I'd be I'd be somewhat surprised if he fell sixth or seventh, but I, I like him as a prospect. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think for the listeners, what Andy's describing is a high floor prospect. Yeah. So that's a safe prospect that you can get immediate contributions at a variety of positions. Maybe not a high upside guy, maybe not an elite trait guy as he has pretty short arms, small wingspan, not the heaviest guy, probably going to be a nickel player, but he's a guy that probably could play free safety for you, could be that fifth or sixth corner in the group and immediately play special teams. That's a very safe prospect. 
Yeah, very much so. All right, let's let's finish this up with two bigger corners. One I like. One is my kind of the first one that I've talked about that I just don't understand. I'll go. With, let's go with the one I like first. Ben uh, Ben St. Juiced out of Minnesota, six, six three, two hundred, redshirt junior. I usually don't like these, you know, bigger kind of corners all that much, but um, I, I just kept coming back to them and I kept seeing things that I liked. And I, I don't even know that I'm smart enough to articulate why, uh, but he's an intriguing player and want to hear your thoughts on him. Yeah, he is an intriguing player, especially uh, he's another one of these guys coming down from Canada, which seemed to be all over college football nowadays. But keep in mind, he was a Michigan transfer. He played in 2017 and redshirted, transferred, got out of there. And I can't believe I didn't notice him last year watching Antoine Winfield and Kamal Martin and Chris Williamson and a bunch of NFL prospects. But this is a massive frame corner at 6'3", 200 pounds, 80-inch wingspan, tons of press coverage, very calm, very patient, yet can be quick and explosive, disrupts the catch point extremely well with those long limbs, tackles very well, will throw his body around. In off coverage, zone coverage, he's a little bit lost. He's not really the twitchiest click and close guy as being 6'3", 200. You can't be everything. So typically with a little more size, you lose a little more twitch. So needs to be a little bit smoother uh, using that kind of size, length, and frame and not just beat people up all the time. But when he get his hands on smaller guys like uh, KJ Hamler or Penn State that he get, did last year, can really smother smaller receivers. So whether you want to call him a Tremaine Johnson type or maybe Holton Hill coming out of Texas uh, has carved out a nice career with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, But this won't be a corner for every scheme. Um, Probably going to have to be a press man type and uh, probably a guy that you don't want having to turn and run with no help uh, over the top too often. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And then we'll wrap things up at the corner position here with the really the one guy that I just can't get so far. And I'm hoping you can talk some sense into me, Ben. That's Israel Mukwamu, 6'3", 200 junior out of South Carolina. I can certainly see the size and the physicality, and there's a lot to like there. Um, just didn't see it from a coverage standpoint, but what were your thoughts on him? Well, and I do this all the time. There's some kind of hybrid players that I cannot figure out what position group I put them on my database. And he's one of them that has played corner about 80% of his career at South Carolina, about 20% at safety, but he's a safety prospect in my opinion. He's six, four, slightly over 200 pounds. He is a massive corner and, you know, just being a little bit funny and facetious here with these opt outs and the one year players and the kind of flash in the pan guys. I would have ended my college career after that three interception game against number one, Georgia or South Carolina upset, upset uh, Jake Fromm and that number one team. Kinlaw obviously had a lot of big pressures, but Mukawamo had three picks that day. I would have said, see ya, evaluate that and tell me where I'm going to go in the NFL. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny to see these small body of works around college football having to be evaluated, but he's a guy that just can't hang and press man coverage, just not twitchy enough being that, you know, big six, four, 200 pound guy. Um, but he's played on the back end quite a bit at South Carolina. He has the size, he has the frame and the profile to convert. He's just raw in both areas. So I think he's a little bit in no man's land right now, as far as being a prospect. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, let's quickly go through some cornerback superlatives and you can take guys for this that we covered last time, this time, or even that we didn't get to quite yet. 
Um, but I'll start with this question. Who's been the hardest cornerback for you to evaluate so far that you just can't get a really good read and, and where you'd like to um, put him on your board? And I'll, I'll start, I'll say Trill Williams for me. Um, I, I just think that I, I see some of the upside and I fall in love with it. And then I watch the peer coverage and I fall out of love and I keep going back and forth. I don't exactly know where to play him or put him. I think he ends up as like kind of a bigger slot that you have to be unique with, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but that's been one of the tougher ones for me. Um, who's been one for you? Uh, so I have a couple for different reasons. Tyson Campbell, uh, I'm not super high on. I have a tough time projecting what type of scheme or ability he's going to provide to the next level. Asante Samuel Jr., I'm just gushing over. I can't believe more people don't have him higher. So he's been tougher for me in that I can't figure out why others don't have him as high. I think he's an absolute star. And then closer to the top of the draft, I think Patrick Sertan has some more issues than people consider. He's a little bit stiff-hipped. I think he's kind of an average athlete, but he has good size. He's physical. He has good speed to kind of recover and make up stuff. But I just have some concerns with him being just kind of a sticky press man corner. We are a million percent in lockstep on Samuel. I don't get why I've seen so many mock drafts with him, not even in the first round. And to this day, I don't understand it. I still think he ends up going earlier than that, but uh, absolutely in love with Samuel as well. Um, who do you feel like would be a really good slot option for Green Bay? A really good slot option for Green Bay. That's a great question. I think if a player like Aaron Robinson out of Central Florida can be available on day two. So I would like to see that day one capital spent on maybe a top flight tackle, top flight receiver. Um, and I think Aaron Robinson would be a great day two value out of Central Florida. And you think, ah, Central Florida, he was an Alabama transfer, you know, at a Deerfield beach that everybody wanted. He's tall, he's long, he's physical, can play corner, can play strong safety, can play nickel, can play linebacker. He's played some dime linebacker. He's a tough player. I just think he has that kind of jack of all trades profile. I would love to see in that nickel middle of the field spot for the Packers, whether that's in, you know, Chandon Sullivan's role, Will Redmond's role, one of those spots. I think he'd be a great addition. I had the exact same player on my list. Thanks for stealing my thunder, Ben. Uh, I had him as we are dialed in Andy. Exactly. (laughs) Exact same uh, evaluation too. And the fact that I think at at round one, he'd be a little bit rich for them of what they can, you know, kind of go for there, but should they move back in round one to get uh, a second round pick or should they move up in round two um, and maybe get him? uh, Cause I think he ultimately goes maybe somewhere around 40 to 50, which is kind of in no man's land for green Bay right now. Um, But again, if they moved back or move up, Aaron Robinson, I think, is your your day one starting nickel corner for Green Bay. And in a similar spot, just to diversify a little bit here so we're not double dipping, Javon Holland out of Oregon, okay. I think, is in a similar conversation. He's a good-sized nickel, tough player who I have in that same kind of ballpark right between 40 and 60, which might put Green Bay in no man's land. But if he's sitting there at 50, one of these guys, Holland, Robinson, I could see a team kind of trading up maybe five, ten spots and going to get their guy. All right. How about an outside option for Green Bay? I'll give my two first so you can't steal my answer this time. I'm going to go uh, either Asante Samuel, who we just talked about, just because I I like him that much, or Greg Newsom. I just think makes really nice sense on the opposite side of Jair Alexander as well. Yeah, I think Greg Newsom would be a great option. I'm not super high on him as far as thinking he's a first-round player, but I think he should be uh, one of the quality ready starters on day two uh, if Green Bay can get their hands on them. Um, you know, any of these tall, long players I would really like. We already talked about Benjamin St. Juice, and we talked about Ifatu Melifonwu. What about Keith Taylor out of Washington, who's in a similar profile, kind of looks the part of Kevin King, track speed, University of Washington, 
tall, long. I don't know if that's given Packers fans too many uh, nightmares. It's being too close to Kevin King, but he's another guy that I think fits the profile, what they want at the position. Every single Packer fan listening just crossed off uh, Keith Taylor on their list of players <laughs> that they want to see end up in Green Bay. So I don't know if that was your uh, goal or not, but I think that's definitely what just happened. Um, all right, give me your most overrated and underrated, underrated uh, corner. I'm going to go overrated Mukwamu, and I'm going to go underrated. I'm going to go Cam Bynum. I, just, again, I like the body of work, even though he doesn't have those top-end traits. Just loved what I saw on tape. Okay, that's good. Um, I'm going to go, I'll go underrated Trey Brown at Oklahoma. He's a guy that, you know, we talked about just being a little bit undersized and uh, he's played so much. I think there's a lot of, you know, to kind of poke and prod with his tape, but the good is really good. Um, Eric Stokes is a guy, another one I think is even a little bit more underrated considering uh, he's obviously been a darling of the week running four, two, four down at the, that combine. But uh, I think he could work himself into the first round overrated. Yeah. We'll go with Patrick Sertan just a little, little bit. I think JC Horn and Caleb Fairley are both better press man corners and should go ahead of him in the first round. I have more work to do on Sertan apparently because I, I still have him number one on my list, but um, I can see the, the some of the concerns, but I just love his overall consistency. So uh, that's one I'm going to have to go back and watch a little bit more of now. All right, and then last but not least for our superlatives, who is your pound the table guy? Somebody that you're going to get up on the draft room and just stomp the table and say, you know what? I don't care what round it is. I just want this guy on my team. Oh, that's a great question. Um let me browse the list here. Uh, well, you're thinking I'll give my couple. I like Melifonwu is, is one of those I'm on right now. And then uh, Tay Gowan later in the draft. I, I just, something about it, just his stickiness and coverage. Um, I, I know he, he may not have that ultimate upside. I know he didn't play in 2020, um, but th that was, that was one of the guys that I popped on and I'm just like, I can't believe there's not more talk about this guy. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Melifonwu and Gowan. That's a good one. Um, I'm actually going to go with an off the beat guy here and that's, Michigan State's Shakur Brown, which some draft nuts out there think he's going to be one of the steals and the sleepers. He's a little undersized, but this is as big of a kind of an FU corner out there as there is in the class. This guy plays very, very violent, very, very angry out there. And maybe this year's who was the young defensive player out of Utah that went to the Colts, actually forced the fumble against us uh, in overtime? The safety, right? Yeah. I can't remember if it's Jalen Johnson or Julian Blackman, but Blackman. anyways. Blackman's the safety from the Colts. Johnson's the corner from the Bears. For the Bears, that's right. Yeah, I think he'd be this year's Julian Blackman where he's a little bit undersized, but an absolute spark plug and kind of a uh, ball hawk and a turnover machine type of guy. Um, he's just a little bit small. You think he's going to be a nickel, but this guy plays very, very aggressive. I would love to have him uh, fill out the back end of my roster. Yeah, I'll be transparent. We probably would have talked more about him, but he was next on my list of players to watch and I just did not get to him in time. So otherwise he would have been on my list uh, to talk about today. Um, all right, let's, let's do a, a couple really, really quick. I want to get you out of here, but a couple of really quick thoughts. I want to know how you stack up uh, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Kyle Pitts. We can even put Waddle in there if you'd prefer, but how do you stack those guys up just on weapons and, and where you'd like to, uh, you know, if you were running a team where you'd put them? Uh, you know, they're all good players. They're all going to be productive players. Um, I'm worried about what schemes they go to, how they're going to be used, whether they're asked just to win outside the numbers all the time. I think if they're using combination, you know, with the scheme and RPO game and an extension of the run game, uh, like all of them were in college, uh, particularly those three receivers, 
Um, I think they'll be very successful, but they're all going to go in the top 12, top 15. I think they're all going to be productive players. They're all exciting players. I just think this kind of top end of the draft has been the conversation has just been a little bit overbeaten at this point. And, you know, I have 65 receivers on my list. I have 31 tight ends. There's so much more to the draft than, you know, these kind of top flight guys. So I don't think any rankings of these four, in my opinion, is wrong. Sure. I think we're all going to have different tastes, different styles, different fits based on what teams are going to need at the top end of the draft. I'm excited to see where they go. I'm excited to see how they're used. And I'm very excited for all of their, you know, kind of futures as professionals. Well said, as always. And as we wrap things up here, Ben, since we're discussing grades, what would your final grade be on the full series of WandaVision now that it is officially over? Non-spoiler version. Um, my final grade, I'd probably give it a 8.1 out of 10. Um, I obviously love the journey of it. I love the enigma and the kind of week to week theories and Easter eggs and trying to figure out what was going on. I thought it was a lot of fun, brought me back to my lost days. Um, I thought they set up the finale um, and the expectations of the finale. I thought they set up a little bit too strong. Yeah. Um, in this past week, the director said, hey, you know what? I've been reading <laughs> a lot of these. Th- I've been reading these theories around the Web. They're a lot of fun, but you might be a little disappointed. Um, so I think fans got a little bit too out there with the excitement that Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany threw out there before the show came out, um, which I think Elizabeth Olsen said there'd be a cameo uh, comparable to Mandalorian, which yeah. they brought out Luke Skywalker. So I don't know what we were expecting, um, you know, off of the cuff of that. And then Paul Bettany was just trying to be a little clever tongue in cheek with his uh, expectation of a cameo. I don't want to give any spoilers for that last episode. Um, but it was fun and I just love how it's kind of part of the timeline and a bigger timeline of the MCU universe. It's going to set up the next couple films. Uh, and I'm glad just Elizabeth Olsen got a lot of, a little more screen time, a little more focus. I think she's a great actress. I love her in the MCU. She obviously hasn't had a standalone movie or anything. So giving her just a stage to kind of be a superstar, which I think she's on the cusp of being is uh, pretty exciting. And uh, for anyone that's watched, I think we're all pretty excited for what's coming next. This is ridiculous to the point of, I I could have not said any of those things better myself. We are a million percent in agreement. Once again, I I think the only thing disappointing was that, um, you know, the cameo in the middle that ended up are ultimately being um, basically a dick joke in the last episode. Um, <laughs> you know, so outside of that, uh, I really enjoyed the ride and, and kind of like lost in some of those mystery box type television stories. The journey is always greater than the end, like the, the, the journey to it, all those theories, everything like that's the fun part about it, of, of going through your mind of what could happen next. And ultimately, especially in the day and age we live in now, and, and it kind of happened with Game of Thrones as well. Um, you, you fantasy book this, uh, all these a million ideas out there and you read all these amazing theories. And of course, like the theories that you read, there's always going to be at least two or three that you are going to end up better than what they ultimately went with, which was the case here as well. But I thought a very entertaining series, and I don't know what more you could want from a nine episode, uh, series that again, played so well on, on some of the Marvel stuff, had those Easter eggs. And, and like you said, um, Elizabeth Olsen's just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I absolutely love the weekly rollouts, by the way. I know we're in this kind of binge world and we want everything and kind of consume it at our own pace. But I love the weekly, you know, week to week kind of uh, 
pacing of the show, like a true TV show, and just builds up a little bit more conversation from episode to episode, builds up a little bit more anticipation from episode to episode. And while I was dying to get my hands on it every Friday, I kind of liked it. You know, I liked this, the, the crave and uh, looking forward to something at the end of the week. So um, we still love our binges, obviously, but I think there's still room for week to week rollouts. I agree as well. The only thing I would disagree with is let's make it a midnight Eastern time release instead of a midnight Pacific time release, because those 2 a.m. mornings the last few weeks were uh, really, really rough because I definitely was staying up to watch. But uh, th- those next mornings <laughs> I was hurting a little bit. So well, that's on you. That's on you. <laughs> that is on me. But I mean, I don't I don't understand the advantage of doing a 12 p.m. Pacific or 12 a.m. Pacific release time like everyone wants it. Like just put I, I can understand the midnight release, but let's do it Eastern time. Yeah, I guess I never really registered. It was always 3 a.m. East Coast. So I never registered that, hey, this might be more convenient for the West Coast for once. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I guess the West Coast gets one advantage uh, every now and again. But Ben, just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff as always. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, Apologize, I probably ran you a little bit over here, but great conversation on the corners. Great stuff as always. Uh, Make sure to check out Ben uh, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. That's going to do it for us. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.